uh, over the age of 30 and you hate sleeping anywhere but your bed. There you go. All right. That is me. That's where I am in life. All right. Uh, I, 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 listen, when you're little, I want to sleep over. I want to sleep over at my friend's house. You know what I want? I don't want to sleep over anywhere else. I don't care how fancy the hotel is. That's not my pillow. That's not my coffee machine, right? I know my routine. There's my coffee. There's my honey. There's my, all that stuff. There's no place like home. No place like home. Luke chapter 15. Look, if you would, at verse number 11. Luke 15 and verse 11. He said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country He sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, that's an important place to come to. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. You know what I love about this passage? I don't know about you, but as as a born-again child of God, there are moments in my life where I don't feel worthy to be called his son. And I'll be honest with you, if you're honest with you and you're honest with me, you know what you would say? Amen. (laughs) Because here's the reality. Here's the problem, though. Sometimes we get to feeling like we're worthy. The reality is we're still not worthy. The only reason that we are worthy to be called his son is not because of our behavior or lack thereof. It's because of being in Christ. Because of what Christ did for me. That's the only reason I have the chance to be called the son of God. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Look if you would at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. When, his father. when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But, I love this, but the father, the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, a.k.a. (laughs) Chick-fil-A, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. I want to talk to you about coming home. What a blessing it is to come home. What a blessing it is that there's a home to come to. I'm going to ask one of my prodigal sons that it went away into a far country for a few weeks in Florida. Brother Joe is my blonde adopted son. He looked, I mean, him and Preston look like they could be brothers, right? Yeah. So, so Joe, would you open us up in a word of prayer?
Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. Let me just say this. The beginning of the passage is one part of this passage that I think gets overlooked. And as we're learning in discipleship, the, the importance of context and learning that, that what comes before and after what you're reading is important and learning who's talking, what they're talking about. If you were to look back at the beginning of the chapter, go back there if you would, Luke chapter 15, uh, notice in verse number one and verse number two, there are two very distinct groups of people. And the Lord is, is addressing these parables of the lost sheep and the, the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost son. All three of those stories are aimed at the crowd. The Lord always knew how to read the room, amen? He always knew who he was talking to. And he's talking to two groups of people. Notice in verse 1, the Bible says, Then drew near to him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. You know, the Lord never got a lot of trouble from the publicans and sinners. It was always the self-righteous religious people that gave Jesus trouble. The, the publicans and sinners said, man, we've got what he, we want what he has. We want to learn more about that. But look at verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And without skipping a beat, the Lord goes right into a parable about the lost sheep and how there's 99, uh, 100 sheep and, and 99 are, are where they should be. But then there's that one that, that wanders off. And you might be here today. You might go, that's me. I'm the black sheep of the family. I never was when my parents told me to be. I never was right with God. Never had things right. Things are always kind of a mess. And let me just say this right now. It doesn't matter. Black sheep, white sheep, all we, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all messed up. We've all messed up somewhere in our lives. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd still be lost out there searching for something. Thank God the shepherd found us. And then he goes on from there and he talks about the parable of the lost coin. And, it, and, and it's kind of funny because it's a story about this woman that, that loses this, this one coin. She's got all these coins and she loses one. And the Bible kind of, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not going to read all the verses right now, but it describes it this way. She basically turns that house upside down searching for that one coin. It kind of reminds me of the one time my wife was looking for a Coles, Coles cash. Anybody remember that? Coles, all right, Coles. And before you could get on your phone like, like they have it now, if you didn't have that paper, man, you were lost. You were on the outside looking in. You were not going to get the discount. You were not going to get the cash applied to your account. And man, we turned that place upside down looking for that Kohl's cash. And man, when we found it, I was so excited. I wasn't excited. You know what that meant? We were still going to spend more money. <laughs> I love it. She's like, do you realize how much we saved by buying this? I'm like, that does not make sense to me. The only way for me to think that we save money is to not go inside the store. Guys, you're really quiet right now. Th- thanks, this guy's not even married, and he has my back. Thank you, bro. Thank you. All right, but, but she turns the house upside down, finds that coin, and rejoices, and tells all her neighbors and her friends, guess what? I found this coin, which to me is funny. It's kind of like, let's throw a party. I found something that, that was lost. I can now go and spend this money. But, but in that story, what you find is you find this. The sheep was being a sheep and was found because it went lost. It went doing what sheep do. That coin didn't do anything wrong. It was lost by the owner. But then you get to the son. It's very different because the son has a conscious will. And that son knows exactly what he's doing. But, but I, I want you to understand that, that what you have is you've got the Lord trying to address those who want truth versus those who say they want truth. Let me give you what I, an example of what I mean by that. There are two kinds of questions that are asked. Two kinds of questions. 
right? One that genuinely wants an answer. Nicodemus comes to the Lord and he goes, how can a man be born when he is old? And the Lord spends the greater part of that chapter, John chapter 3. If it wasn't for Nicodemus asking those questions, you wouldn't have John chapter 3, verse number 16, for God so loved the world, right? What a great verse. You know, it all starts with this guy asking these questions, and the Lord goes, let me answer those for you. But then you also have people like Pilate that says, what is truth? And you realize the Lord never really spends a lot of time trying to answer all of Pilate's questions. You know why? Because Pilate didn't want the truth. You've got these Pharisees who go, how come you're receiving sinners? And the Lord just goes, you know what? I'm going to bypass directly talking to you, and I'm going to tell everyone these parables, and I hope you find out where you fit in these passages. And when you look at the, the story of, of the son, and the son that goes astray, the prodigal, if you will, you've got a number of characters in that story. But let me just start off by simply saying this. The father does nothing wrong. Let me just say this. As human fathers, we blow it. Can I get a witness? We're not always consistent. Sometimes we pick favorites. Sometimes we handle things the wrong way. We don't always know. Let's be honest. Sometimes the kid is actually telling the truth, and they still get in trouble. And you know what a, a, a dad like me will say? Well, guess what? For the other 50 times I never knew about it, you're getting it this time. <laughs> right? You are not perfect. We're far from perfect. But I've got a father that's never messed up. I've got a father that any time a child of his goes astray, I can tell you this, maybe it's uh, influence from another brother, maybe it's influence from the far country, but it's never the father's fault. If you go astray, don't blame dad. It's your own free will. The Bible talks about the fact that this young man had a, a yearning for the far country, and, and many of you know the story very well. And as the Lord is addressing these, these people that are gathered there, he's, he's showing them something. Uh, there's a couple of ways to look at the situation where people come home. And, and of course, uh, it reminds me of uh, Mary and Martha. And of course, Mary's at the feet of Jesus. And what does Martha do? Lord, make her help me. <laughs> Can you imagine going to the Lord and telling him what to do? And be like, hey, <laughs> tell my sister. <laughs> Just, I can, can you not see that? I grew up in a big family. I'll never forget my wife. You know, she's an only child. And so there were times when Ariana and Isabella were little. She'd call me, honey, I'm a terrible mom. I can't do this anymore. And I just don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, what did they do? Well, they're fighting. I'm like, <laughs> that's normal. <laughs> like, like, you know, call me when someone throws a chair at someone. That's what I grew up with, you know. We did WWE in our house, you know. Male and female, there was no difference. The last fight I had with my older sister, she took a chair, put it on me, and said, you want to be a brat? You want to be a... That, that's what I grew up with. So, so when my wife calls me worried about Ariana and Isabel, they're fine. I'm like, hey, that's normal. Mary and Martha hung out with Jesus, and they had problems. You know what, Mary, what Martha says? Make her help me. Another time, Mary, I love the story. The character of Mary's interesting. Mary's there, and she's... She's anointing the, the feet of Jesus Christ and breaks the alabaster box of ointment. And Judas says, why was this waste of the ointment made? You know, it goes to show you that, that the Lord sees things in certain moments of time that we see so differently. And in this passage, you have a story about a young man that, that comes home. And not everybody's happy about it. Well, look at that. But let me just say this much. When it comes to you as a child of God, Aren't you glad he's made you one of his children? He's adopted you. He's brought you into his home. But let's be honest, we're not always there. And sometimes we're there, but we're not there. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, I am thankful for the fact that he said, in my father's house are many mansions. I can't wait till I get to that house. And I put a new house on right here as well. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Paul talks about groaning in this earthly tabernacle and someday I'm going to be clothed with that house from above. I can't wait for that day. I, listen, once you cross over the age of 40, you look at a donut, you gain five pounds. You get out of bed and you're like, I'm hurt. What did you do? I slept. Yeah, like honestly, you're like, what did I, I didn't do anything. I just woke up wrong. I don't know what I did. And listen, the older you get, the more you realize, man, I hope there's something besides what I've got right here. Thank God for the new body we're going to get someday. Amen. All right. And, and, and I think about that. I can't wait for that day. But you know what I think the Lord does? I think the Lord wants us to experience a little bit, just every once in a while, a little bit of heaven on this earth. You say, how? Well, listen, if the father's house is up there and we know that's the gathering of all his children once and for all, forever and ever and ever and, and every Sunday and every Wednesday, he allows us to come here to worship the father, to get closer to the father. Can we not see a little bit of a picture of coming home when we come here? I'm going to tell you right now, if it wasn't for some people in this room, man, my, my, my life would not be where it is right now. When I was a kid, as a young person, if it wasn't for a preacher putting his arm around me and leading me to Christ and then getting disciples in that church and all the foolishness that teenagers do and the messes that we cause and the patience of those two ladies right there and the, the things that they put up with and loving us and praying for us. And let me tell you something right now. This was home when my home life was a wreck. This was my haven. This was my refuge. This was everything. I would not be here without being able to come to the Father's house. I'm thankful for this. This means something to me. That prodigal son gets off into the far country, and he makes a mess of things. We know all about that. But before we can get to him coming home, we need to look at what God and where he was. Let me show you this. Look at verse number 12. Luke 15, verse 12. Can I say this? Impatience. Impatience leads to a far country. Now look at verse number 12. The Bible says the younger of the son said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. You know what we want sometimes as believers? We want what God wants for us when we want it, not in his timeline. God, I want you to give this to me. Give it to me now. Lord, I'm going to serve you, but I need this right now. God, I need you to fix my marriage. Fix it right now. God, I need you to do this and do it right. Let me tell you right now, God's not Amazon. He's not Santa Claus. There are things in our lives that we don't understand. And listen, you know what God does with this son? He goes, okay, fine, here you go. But I'm gonna tell you right now, oftentimes what gets you to the wrong place in your life is you saying, I want it and I want it now. The worst thing at times that God could ever do to you is give you what you want out of time. Impatience, I want it and I want it now. Where does he end up? Far country. The Bible says that Satan showed Jesus Christ the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time. All you got to do is worship me. All those kingdoms were there in a moment. But can I say this? It was the wrong moment to take them. You need to understand this, Christian. There are times that you want something from the Father. (laughs) He doesn't always give it to you. You better thank God for that. In this story, the Father goes, here you go, son. The Bible says he divided, the Father divided unto them, both sons, his living. You know what I see here? I I see selfishness leads to the far country. You know what he says? Give me. Can I say this? Your relationship with God shouldn't be Santa Claus. 
God, I need this. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, and then I'll know that God's real when he gives me everything I want. Let me just say right now, th- this is, this is the, the problem with Christianity today. Our faith is built on the idea and the historical account of a man dying for the sins of the entire world. Our faith is built off the concept, listen to me, of sacrifice. I asked a preacher that's uh, 70, almost 75 years old. I said, preacher, what's the biggest difference today versus when you got in the ministry back in the 70s? 50 years ago. You know what he said? The biggest difference is this. When people got saved and they came to church, they knew that it was their turn to get involved and serve God. And now when people come to church, even those that have been saved for years, it's kind of like, what am I getting out of this? It's give me. Let me tell you something. You may be here right now, but I'm going to tell you, your heart won't be here if all you think about is give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. The Bible says the Son of Man came not to be ministering, but, but to minister. Listen, I'm tight. I don't like it. It's not comfortable. Uh, What programs do you have? It's a little hot in here. What about this? What about that? When do we get done? Why is he not shut up yet? And listen, this is where modern Christians are at. Let's go. Let's give it to me. What I I want, when I want it, that is not the Christian life. The Christian life as a child of God. Yes, you are a child first, and we'll talk about that, but you are also here to serve in the house. It's not just about what you get out of it. Do you ever consider, I've had Christians say, well, my preacher, you know, he's teaching on this subject, and I've heard that before, and I've heard that before. And I look at him and I say, do you realize you're not the only one in the church? Do you realize people just got saved a month ago and they need to be fed the word of God? Do you realize that when you got saved, you couldn't handle the seven sevens and the seven resurrections, the seven raptures, and the seven this and the seven You can handle all that stuff. You know what you needed? Come to church. Read your Bible. Walk with God. Develop a prayer life. <laughs> And little by little, God's added to you. But you know what Christians do after a while? What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? What do I get? And you know what that leads to? The far country. The, the, the symbol of our faith is not a handout like this. It's a cross. The symbol of our faith is not Amazon. Boom. I better have it. I better have it in less than two days. The symbol of our faith is a cross. You know what it points to? The exact opposite of selfishness. It points to selflessness. The, the Bible says, that if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. That younger said, son said, give me. You know, I, I get concerned about, honestly, I get concerned about kids that are raised in church. You say, why, preacher? That's the best life. It absolutely is. You know, the problem is, they don't always know it. And so they grew up with this, and they think this is just how it is. And people are going to look out for me. People are going to love me. It is not like that out in the world. It is dog eat dog, me first, you next. You know how many young people have gone out from church and said, I'm going to go blaze my own trail and figure it out, only to come back broken and bloody and thank God the house was still here for them to come back to. You know how many adults have done that as well? Can I say this? An anxious heart leads to the far country. Look, if you would, at verse number 13. The Bible says, and not many days after. You see, what does that mean? He was ready, man. He was ready. His eyes were on the horizon. Can I, can, I incur, can I just say this, Christian? If you're here in the Father's house, and you know this is where God wants you, and all it takes is just a little tap for you, to go, fine, I'm out of here. You know what that tells me? You were looking for a way out. Yeah. You know, every time someone comes, well, you don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. Here's all I can tell you about being in the Father's house. God's got a lot of kids they don't always act right. And he's a perfect father. 
And, and so, but I'll just say this much. For every Christian to ever come to me and said, you don't know what they said. I, I was just, just, time out. Have you ever, I know we've done it before. I'm going to do it one more time. How many of you have ever been hurt by something that another Christian said or did to you? Would you be honest and raise your hand? I will. I'll raise two of them. If I had a third one, I'd raise that one as well. All right. Here's the other question. How many of you have ever hurt somebody that's a Christian? You know what the point is? None of us are perfect and sinless in this area. You know what it took for this guy to get out of there? I'm just biding my time. And once I've got a green light, I'm out of here. You know what it shows me? It shows me that the heart was the issue. It wasn't the father. It wasn't the money. It was, let me just find a vehicle to get me where I want to go, regardless of what is right, regardless of what my father says, regardless of where I ought to be. And that young man takes that journey. He goes out, and as the Bible says, into a far country. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say how far he went. And I think this is the dangerous part of this parable, is that people read this and go, oh, man, you know, I, I didn't do like the prodigal. I didn't like go out and, you know, uh, you know uh, get into drugs and, and make a mess of this and do this. It's not about that. You know what it is? It's about you moving out from under the direction and leadership of the Father. It's you following you. I tell you this. I asked, uh, asked Ariana, I said, hey, what do you love the most about? What, is, what does home mean to you? What do you love the most about coming home? You know what she said? I love home. And home means so much to me because everyone there knows everything about me and they still love me. Boy, that's home. That's home. You know what that young man did? He took it for granted. You know what you have in the Father's house? You have the bread of life. You have provision that never runs out. You have the water of life to sustain you. You have the salt that seasons that food. You have the great shepherd of your soul, the door that opens and closes uh, rightfully for you to keep you protected and opens the doors that no man can, can open and, and it shuts where no man can open and so on and so forth that opens and no man can shut. The door, that, which is Jesus Christ, you have all that represented within the Father's house. And, and then you think, to why would someone go? Why do we go? Because at some point in our minds, we convince ourselves there's something better out there and let me tell you something greener pastures are not always green lot finds that out the hard way but by the time he figures it out it's way too late we learned this wednesday night you know what the house of god is represented by the presence of god you know why this is the house of god because god shows up you know why i call this the father's house because his children gather here and whether two or three are gathered in his name there am i in the midst of them so why do some Christians leave it? You know, I think, about, I think about that song we just sang a little bit ago, feeding on the husks around me till my strength was almost gone. Longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Hallelujah, I have found him who my soul so long has craved. Where did I find him? You say, well, I can find Jesus here. I don't have to find him in the four, four walls of a church. Yeah, I understand that, but you and I both know there is something special about tuning out the rest of the world and close, turning the phone off and turning the world off for a little bit and saying, God, I want to hear from you. I want to meet with you, and I want more of Jesus in my life. The reality is I can't give you enough on Sunday and Wednesday. I might go long. It's still not enough. You need them every day of your life. 
But let's be honest, there's something special about coming here and God, God, everything else is off. I just want to meet with you. I want to get closer to you. Lord, that's why I'm in the Father's house. So the question is this, why is it that some children leave? You could do a whole sermon on that. Oh, everyone's got different reasons, but I'll, I'll say this at the end of the day. I'm thankful. No matter how far you've gone, you can always come home. Amen. Thankful for that. Home is defined as a place of constant residence, a dwelling house, the house or place in which one resides. I'm thankful that the Jesus Christ says, abide in me and you'll bear fruit. And I'm thankful that the Lord didn't say, I want you just to pass by. He says, I want you to abide with me. Over there where he talks to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, you come down and today I'll abide with you in your home. I'm thankful that God does not say, let's just hang out. He says, I'll abide with you forever and ever and ever and ever. He gives us this earthly house right here to bring in all of these little houses into this house where we can be reminded that this is not the final house that we're going to be at forever and ever and ever. But I'm thankful for the Father's house. You know, I wish sometimes, I wish you could just go like this. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Don't you wish you could initiate the rapture that way? No place like home. No place. You ever been out in the world and just dry and tired and beat up and you just wish it was Sunday already? Some of you, you know what you do? Oh, no, I'm good. You know, your problem is you take this for granted. And I mean this respectfully. Some of you are spoiled brats at the Father's table. And you've been consuming this food for so long, you don't even know what it's like to be without. I'm going to tell you something. There's some, people, uh, there's some other folks in this room that could tell you, I can tell you what it's like to be without. Don't take it for granted. Can I say this? Coming home means facing reality. Look, if you would, at verse 17. The Bible says when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough in spare, and I perish with hunger. You know what I think our problem is today? We kind of live in a virtual reality <laughs> all the time. You know, I heard someone explain fantasy football, and if you like fantasy football, don't get offended with me, and don't say, I'm never going back to the church to make fun of fantasy football. I have a friend that's trying to get me into it. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know how to do this stuff, man. I'm not like a video game guy and you pick these people and you know you get this guy and you if you, again i can just tell right now i said fancy folk so i'm like don't preach against i'm not preaching i'm just telling you I, I that's not a world i really have spent a lot of time in but i heard someone explain this football itself is already a fantasy you got grown men that go i would throw the ball this way you wouldn't have thrown the ball 10 minutes 10 yards on that way <laughs> you, got, you got guys are going i would have run that way you wouldn't have run that way you've been smeared by a linebacker we live in fantasy every Sunday. We watch a football game, guys. Let's be honest. Oh, man, the hole was right there. You couldn't have seen the hole. You're five foot two, you know? I mean, the reality is this. We do live in a lot of, a lot of our lives. Listen, it's a bubble. And we don't see reality for what it is. And you know what reality is? Reality is God's perspective. Reality is not necessarily how we see things. Real reality is how does God see it. You know what that young man did? That young man finally came to a place. Do you know why we have an altar where people come and they talk to the Lord? You go, I could do that in my chair. You absolutely can. You don't have to come here. But I'll tell you, you know why we have this? So people can face reality in their life week in and week out. 
So you can go, you know what, Lord? I'm not where I thought I was. I've been lying to myself. I'm not in the right place. God, I want to be closer to you. You know what this young man does? He faces reality, and he does not blame anybody else. He says, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh, Lord. You know, I've seen this young man, someone that knows what they want. They've got ambition. They're impatient. They just want to get it done and do you. Just you do you. Let me tell you something right now. You don't want to do you without God. You know why? Because you and I, you know what we are? We are broken. And I tell you, you see, man, you know what he did? He did him. <laughs> you know where it led? A path of brokenness. I think about the fact this young man, in verse number 13, the Bible says he wasted his substance with riotous living. You know what he did? He wasted his life. He saw that. In verse 14, you know what you realize? Expectations weren't met. <laughs> You know what he realized? It wasn't what I thought it was. Can I just tell you, anytime you make a move without God, it's not what you think it's going to be. The Bible says in verse 16 that no man gave unto him. You know he realized? I had it really good at home. I had it really good at home. In verse 17, he realizes, man, I am out of place. I don't belong here. You know what I, I love? I love the fact that he takes initiative. Can I say this? Coming home takes initiative. It takes you owning, taking responsibility. We live in a culture where no one wants, if I'm the way I am, you know, what, you know whose fault it is? It, it's, it's Joe's fault. <laughs> right? I mean, he's white privileged, so that's my problem right there. That's the world we live in. Let me tell you right now, I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm just telling you, look, the reality is this. Don't get offended with me. I'm brown. I'm not even white. I'm just saying that's where we're at. Where if there's something wrong in my life, it's your fault. No, no, no. If there's something wrong in my life, it's because of sin and it's my fault. When I look at something that's right in my life, you know what I realize? It's God. And when something is wrong in my life, do you know what I realize? That's me. You know what this, this young man did that the, the other son that was there the entire time of the father's house could never do? He took responsibility for himself. And he said, Lord, it's me. I have sinned. You know what's wrong to do sometimes to admit you're wrong? You ever been, okay, I'm going to just step into a place where I'm not sure if I should step, but here we go. Married couples, have you ever been in an argu- um, uh, a heated and passionate discussion? <laughs> an intellectual discourse in which you have your position and, and they have their position. And you're going back and forth. And, and by the time you're done, by the time you're done, you have no idea where you're at or what you're talking about. But you're still, man, till death do us part. You are still going to make your point. Don't raise your hand. That's every married couple in here. You know why? I don't want to admit I'm wrong. I'm right. You know don't raise, please don't raise your hand. Some of you did this on the way to church. <laughs> then you got everybody, oh, good morning, brother. Hi. Good to see you. Good to see you. On the way to church, yeah, well, you know what? I know what you did. 1989. Remember what you said? Uh-uh, I don't know. I wasn't even alive in 1989. <laughs> right? That's, and then you come to church. Oh, everything's good. Hey, brother, how you doing? It's so good to see you. You say, what was it? I'm going to be right no matter what. Here's this prodigal son. You know what he gets right in his life? He gets right that he's wrong. He owns his sin. 
You know what he says? I will arise. Not, you need to take me there. Not, hey, Father, where are you? Come get me. You know what he says? He says, I'm going to arise and go to my Father. Why? My Father didn't leave me. I left him. Can I, can I compare this? Look at verse 28. You say, what's happening? Well, the older brother that never left the house. Remember, there's two brothers. Don't forget that. The older brother. Joe, are you the younger brother? Are you liking this story right now? You are loving it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. The older brother that never left the house and on the outside looks like he did everything the right way. You know what his problem is? He's self-righteous. He never left the house, but his heart did. His heart hadn't been there in a long time. You know what he says in verse number 28? Check this out. Read what happens. The, The prodigal son does go home. The father meets him before he even gets into the house. And you know the story. They make merry, and they have the fatted calf, and they have this, and they have that, and they're celebrating this moment. And then there's that older brother, And that older brother says, what's going on there? Oh, they're making merry. They're having a great celebration. Your younger brother came home. And rather than saying, praise God, I've been praying for him. You know what that older brother did? I'm not going in there if he's in there. See what the father does? Check this out. No differently than he did for the prodigal. He comes outside the house. And he talks to the older brother. He says, hey, Don't miss out. This is just as much your celebration as it is his. But you know what's interesting to me? That younger, that prodigal son, you know what he said? I'll arise and go to my father. That older brother that was there serving God the whole time, I'm not going in. You know what that tells me? One's willing to take responsibility and one isn't. You know, if you're lost here without Jesus Christ, you might find something wrong with what I said. You might try to pick apart the message. Something may may come across you the wrong way. Can I encourage you to put that aside for just a moment? Can I simply say this? Be, don't be Cain. Be able. You know what Cain does? Cain in his self-righteousness finds a reason to hold on to what he believes is right over what God says. He never makes it to the Lord. You know why? No different than the older brother. I've been doing this and I've been doing this and I've been serving. I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes... Some of the most bitter, frustrated people I've met are people that are serving God. And they're doing it out of motion, out of ritual. It's dry, it's empty, it's vain worship. You say, why? Don't you see everything I'm doing? Don't you notice me? How come you threw him a party? How come you didn't give one for me and my friends? How come? You say, what was the problem? One of these men took responsibility and one didn't. Come with me to 1 Samuel 15, Old Testament. 1 Samuel 15. Is this making any sense? Do, Do we not live in a day and age where it's just easier for me to blame my wife if I if I don't like how things are in my home? It's easier for me to blame the child than to be the father I should be. It's easier for the child to say, Well, my parents are messed up than to say, Lord, I can still walk with you. 1 Samuel 15, see what's going on. Saul was commanded by God 
And, and, and again, if you're not familiar with your Old Testament, I want to be clear with you because if you're just reading your Bible now for the first time and you read this, you might go, man, what kind of God is this? Before you do that, you, you might want to study history a little bit. You might be interested to find out that there were children being sacrificed to gods. All kinds of ungodly, terrible, unimaginable, thing, unimaginable things being done to the innocent lives in those communities. So you know what God says? God says, wipe it all out. Amen. And so God tells Saul, go in there and wipe it out. And they're going in there as the people of Israel to take their land back. And as they do that and they have this battle, God tells Saul, hey, I don't want anything to be spared. Get rid of it. And Saul does what Saul does. Saul does Saul. Saul does what Saul wants to do. And uh, Seth, your you're, you're, uh, brother Seth is here from a uh, church in, in the Seattle area. And uh, his pastor is one of my friends. His pastor famously said, I always say famously said, Brother Murphy doesn't feel this way, but it stuck in my mind years ago. He said, people do what they want to do. You know what Saul did? Saul did what he wanted to do. And when Saul spared Agag, look if you would at verse number nine, the Bible says, but Saul and the people spared Agag. Can, can I just say this? It did not say, but the people. It said Saul and the people. Did you get that? Uh, look if you would at verse number 15. When Saul is confronted about this, notice what Saul says. Uh, Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice the Lord thy God. And, and watch it. Watch the, the latter part of the verse. And the rest, we have early. Do you notice where he throws himself? He throws himself on the side of a, We destroyed the bad stuff, but they wanted to spare it. It wasn't me. I had nothing to do with that. It says he was irresponsible. This, would you not take what God says or what man says? It says Saul and the people. You know what Saul says? wasn't me. Look if you would at verse 21. But the people. <laughs> this is Saul talking. Look at verse 24. Because I, I didn't do right because I feared the people. Now you compare that to David. When, when a preacher gets in David's face and says, thou art the man. You know what David doesn't do? David does not say, well, my parents and my wife and my kids, and you don't know the pressure of being king, and it was really hard, and I was alone, and I was bored, and you should know what it's like. You know what David does? He says, wash me, Lord, against thee and thee only have I sinned. We need that in the church today. <laughs> Rather than blaming everybody else for what's wrong in our lives. God, it's me. Lord, here's the problem. I'm looking at him in the mirror. You know what it takes to come home? It takes being honest. It takes responsibility. You know what I love about the man that Jesus heals that's sick of the palsy? This guy, I mean, he's so sick he can't move. He's lying on a bed and his, his friends, four, four guys that doesn't even say they're his friends, but these men bring him up and they bring him up on a stretcher on top of a house. They, they break the roof of that house. They let that man down. You know what Jesus says? He says, take up thy bed and walk. Can I ask you a question? If Jesus is strong enough to heal him by speaking it, why does he tell him to pick up his own bed? John 11, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes forth like a mummy. Mm. And, and you know what the Lord says? Take off the grave clothes. If Jesus is powerful enough to bring someone back to, to life from the dead, could he not just make the grave clothes fall off? You know what that shows me? There's a part in this that we have. You know what God does? What we cannot do. And then God says, you're responsible here, buddy. You, you know what I see in this story? I see that the younger son took responsibility and the older son didn't. 
Can I say this? If you want to learn to come home and, and stay home, not just in your body, but in your mind and in your heart, you know what it takes? It takes a willingness to say, Lord, it's me. I'm not blaming the preacher. or not blaming someone at church. or not blaming anybody else. It's me. Go back to John, excuse me, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Oh, and by the way, do you know where Saul ends up? He ends up not hearing from God for the latter part of his life. And he dies a terrible death. Say why? Because Saul wanted to do Saul. And then when he was confronted, he was never wrong. Can I say this, Christian? Don't be that. Don't be Saul. Be David. Look at Luke 15. Can I say this? And I'm so thankful for this. Coming home means finding compassion. You know what I think about? I said all the stuff I said. I don't take any of it back. You take ownership. You take responsibility. But I am so glad. Look, look at what he's thinking in his head. Look at verse 17. Uh, he says, I'll, I'll, I'll look at my situation. Look at verse 18. I'll arise and go to my father and, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Look at verse 20. He does this. He goes to his father. And before he can even get to his father, his father runs off that front porch, if you will, when he's a great way off. And that father's just looking for him. And he sees him. And the Bible says in verse 20, he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck. Now, you you may not know this, but in, in Jewish culture, a man of esteem and a man of wealth did not run. For him to do that was a humbling position. For him to leave his house and run to his son, he was humbling himself to say, son, I'm so glad you're home. And when that son goes into that routine in verse 21, father, I have sinned. You know what the next statement is supposed to be? I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Before he can breathe those words out, the father says, that's enough. That's, I, I, yes, son, I know, but you're my son. Hey, servants, bring the fatted calf. Let's bring the music. Let's get this thing going. My son was dead and is alive again. Let's celebrate that. You know what you find when you come home? Compassion. You know what you will not find in the world? Compassion. You know what the Father has? A never-ending supply of compassion. I am so thankful for the compassion of the Father. And listen, you know what the Father could have said? Got tired of that life, huh? Wasted my money, huh? Hey, hey, how, was it as good as you thought it was? Hey, hey, let's talk about everything you did wrong. I'm glad the father doesn't do that. When the son comes home and the son is repentant, you know what the father does? Let's just get things right. Amen. Let me tell you something. There have been times where my, there's, there's something special. I haven't experienced this until having boys. And boys and the girls, they have, they're so unique in their own ways. And there's things about the girls that I love about them. There's things about the boys. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing like when you look in the eyes of your son and they're, I'm sorry, Dad. And they start telling you everything they're sorry about, and it's like, we already, we're good. We're good. You know what I tell, you know what I tell my kids when we're done with the, the discipline aspect of things? You know what I tell them? It's like it never happened. You confessed it. You talked to God about it. It's done. I'm glad the father does not do what the older brother does. I'm glad the fathers didn't go, oh yeah? Tell me everything that you want. Let me tell you, where have you been? How bad was it? Give me all the details. T tell me what you missed. Hey, you know what? I want you to go in there and get in front of everybody and tell them how bad you were. I'm so glad that when you come home, the father's not so interested in building this court case against you. That's how we are with people. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, I know you did this. and you. I'm so glad the father just says, son, I'm just glad that you're home. <laughs> Anybody remember Colonel Sanders? Sure you do. Sure you do. Some of you are like, yep, just ate some of his food this week. He was on a plane one time. True story. And this mom 
Any moms ever fly on a plane with their babies when they're little? And it is not easy. You know, and you can always tell when you're around people that don't have kids. You, can o- you just get it. You feel it. They're looking like, hey. oh, cute kid. <laughs> I got duct tape. You want to strap them down? Or? <laughs> this mom's got this baby, and she's by herself. The husband's not there. Dad's not there. The baby is just losing it. Ah, oh, it's so terrible when you're taking off and landing the ear pressure. It, they can't say, give me some medicine. They just scream. And the colonel got up. <laughs> the colonel. He got up. He said, ma'am, can I have a try? He got that baby to sleep. Rocked that baby to sleep. When they landed, all these people came up to him and said, thank you so much for doing that for us. <laughs> About the third time someone came by and said, he goes, let me, just, let me just tell you, I didn't do it for you. I did it for the baby. Let me tell you something. The mess you make in your life, there'll be people around you that go, thank God he got right. But let me tell you something. God didn't do that for them. He did it for you. Amen. I'm so thankful that when we come home, it's just like, hey, let's, I'm just glad you're alive. My son was dead. He is alive. You know what I see when you come to the father's house? You know, I love it. You, you find your real identity. You know, in this, in this guy's mind, this, this, this prodigal son, he's like, man, I've messed up so bad. I'm not worthy to be called his son. I'm just a servant. Uh, he wants to get there and say, Father, just make me a servant. But you can see right away the father's not interested in that. The father goes, you are my son. You're going to have the best robe. You're going to have shoes on your feet. Man, let's comb that hair. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's have a meal. You're my boy. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the people say that knew what you did. All that matters is you're connected with me. <laughs> Man, let me tell you something right now. You can, you can laugh at me if you want to, but that, you will know. These are my sons. You say, how? We will use hair product. We will use cologne. Amen. <laughs> you will, those, are, those are Dominguez boys. You say, why? I want you to know, that's, those are my boys. I am proud of my. They're mine. <laughs> you know what God does when he looks down? He goes, man, that's mine, and that's mine. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know how dirty I am. You don't know what I did to your name. You don't know what they said. You don't know what they saw. You know what? I know this much. It can be under the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, and you can come home. Come on home. I'm thankful. Listen, I got a, a, a text from someone recently. I'm not going to say who it was, but they simply said this. I find so much healing and forgiveness and love in the Father's house. I love my church. That's how it ought to be. Man, when you walk in after it's been a while of being here or maybe things are rough in your life and things didn't turn out like you hoped they would have, I'm thankful you can come to a place where people aren't going to say, where are you being? You know what they'll say? I'm just glad you're here. You say, why? Because that's the Father's response. You find, can I say this? You find out who you are supposed to be when you come here. Truly. There's a part of you that you're never going to really see And you don't just see it by watching messages online. Not the same. I I don't mean in any way, shape, or form to... I I, I really don't. Miss Cindy, I love you. Please don't get mad at me for this. Please. It's like a second mom. And I've known her for decades. I used to knock on the door of their house. They had a parsonage right next door to the church. And I was one of about five teenagers that would come over and beg for food. <laughs> Which is why, when we had a chance to move 20 miles away from the church, I did. Because I knew I didn't want teenagers knocking on the door of my house. 
I didn't want the Lord to visit me with those memories. So I, I remember knocking on the door. Hey, Miss Sandy, you know what Billy would do? Can I have some sweet tea? He'd shut the blinds. <laughs> He'd go, get out of here. Go, go, go. And she'd go, Billy, you hush. He's a nice boy. <laughs> Get to go inside and raid the fridge. It was great. I, I've watched Miss Cindy over the years and moved here in 2020 with Billy. Helped facilitate the boys getting adopted. 2021, Billy passes away. 2022, another loved one that meant a lot to her. One of her kids passed away. 2023, dealing with severe vertigo. You know what I see in her life? The grace of God. Where some people would say, I'm bitter, and I'm leaving the Father's house. You know what she's saying? Can you just pray that I can make it to church? Oh, man, we need more of that. You see, I'm not doing that to embarrass her. I'm simply trying to say, I can't find that by just watching stuff online. I have to be in the Father's house to see that. Javen, would you, would you say that two years ago, that if someone told you you're going to be going to Bible school, and oh, by the way, on Wednesday nights, you're going to be doing puppets for kids. <laughs> All right? You know, this, this guy's like, you know, smooth operator, man. <laughs> I mean, ladies, all, he come to church with like 10 girls on, on both sides. <laughs> and now he's doing puppets for Jesus for children. Amen. That's finding your identity in the Lord. Amen. You can't make that stuff up. Now, I could go through the room. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I don't want to pick on people, but honestly, just looking at when Brother Sean Bowie, listen, I'm telling you, came here seven years ago, was a different man than he is today. And it's, I'm not saying that because of we did that. No, no, God did that. But he did it through coming to the Father's house. You understand? And when he came, the Father had compassion and said, hey, I don't care what you thought you were. I don't care what you see yourself as. This is who you are. You're my son. Man, I'm thankful for that. So thankful for a father that allows our identity to be restored when we don't deserve it. Bring that best robe. Bring that ring that's a a picture of the the seal of the Spirit of God. Bring those shoes, a a picture of, man, your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Bring that fatted calf, a, a picture of the meat of the Word of God. All that you need to make you who you are. Let's bring it right now. Yeah, but I'm dirty. You don't know where I've been. I don't need to know. I know this. My son's blood will cover all that sin. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear we shall be. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I am thankful. Listen, someone told me the other night that they're talking to one, that one of their parents about decisions that they're making. This is a young person, and, and they're, they're making a decision for God. And I'm not going to tell you what it is or whatever. That's their business. But the, the parent was not exactly thrilled with that decision. And, and this particular individual said, you know what I need? I really need to be around God's people tonight. You say, why? Because, listen, when things aren't working out there at like, like you thought they would, when expectations are failed, you need to be able to come to a place where you're reminded, I am God's child First and foremost, when he starts going this, let me, let me just serve you. He goes, hey, son, there'll be time for service later. You can't serve me the right way if you don't remember you're my son first. You know what, you're right? you know what we did wrong, fundamentalists? You know what you did wrong? Get people in church, a weekend, no Bible, no discipleship. Let's have you teach a class. Let's have you run a bus route. Let's have you do something. You say, why? Just, you got to serve, you got to serve, you got to serve. Listen, there'll be a time for that. You need to know first off, first and foremost, you're his child. You know what you need to come here for? Fellowship with him. I'll forget 
Sorry, Miss Dini, Jose's not here to defend himself. First time I met your husband, I did not look at him and say, that right there is A, a cop, and B, a youth group leader. And there he is. You say, what is that? That's God working in someone's life. Someone recently made a remark about the difference that has been made in someone's life and how this person is not who they were a few years ago. You know, all I could think of is, thank you, Lord. You say, what God just, he brings you back to the identity you were supposed to have to begin with. You see, what does that, what does it remind you of? Home. Home makes you, have you ever noticed when you're out, like, living in the world, you kind of have to have, like, a wall up? And then you come home and you take the shoes off. Man, you just kind of, You know what this is supposed to be? Please keep your shoes on. <laughs> but you know what this is supposed to be? It's supposed to be home. Right. You, need to find, you know what you find at home? Coming home means restoring your identity. Can I say this? It means finding joy again. Right. And I love that the Father's like, let's make merry. It's a great passage to prove that the Father was not a Baptist. <laughs> Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Raise them all creatures here below. Brother, you should be excited. Did you not see me raise my eyebrows? <laughs> you know what the Father says? Man, this is a good time to celebrate. You know what Jesus talks about joy? Go to John, John chapter number 15. John chapter number 15. Let's take a real quick moment, little, little trip through John. John chapter 15, look if you would at verse number 11. These things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. You know what you ought to have when you come to the Father's? You ought to have some full joy. Yeah, but man, there's this going on, that going on. Yeah, I know, but, but man, we are his children. And look at the promises of God and, and look what God's doing in someone's life and look what he's doing in your life slowly over time. You know what that should cause? It should cause some joy. Look at John 16, verse 24. Hitherto you have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Look at John chapter number 17. John chapter 17. John 17, verse 13, Now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, talking Jesus to the Father, that they, the disciples, might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. In other words, the joy that God has should flow from him to you. Let me say this. You won't get that when you're not around him. You know what David says in Psalms? He says this. He says, At thy right hand are there pleasures forevermore in thy presence is fullness of joy. I like that Jesus says, your joy can remain and no man taketh it from you. I read this, I thought I'd share it with you. People have tried to find joy in all kinds of places. You know where it's not found? Unbelief, infidelity. Voltaire, philosopher, he wrote this, I wish I'd never been born. What a great philosophy. Let's go study at that guy's feet. Jay Gould, an American millionaire. This is an American millionaire from way back, hundred plus, almost 100 years ago. He, he had plenty of money. You know, he said when he was dying, I suppose I'm the most miserable man on earth. Alexander the Great, 
who'd conquered their own world in his day, when, he, when he, they found him in his tent weeping, you know what he said? There are no more worlds to conquer. You know where you find real joy? You don't find it out there. You find it in Jesus Christ. You find it in the Father's house. Can I say coming home means finding fulfillment? Look, if you would, at verse number 23. Go to John, Luke chapter 15, excuse me, Luke 15. Back to our main passage. Luke 15, look at verse 23. Now, I can't tell you what exactly the father was doing, but I, I think in the back of the father's mind, he was always hopeful that the son would come home. You say, why? There was a calf. When they say the fatted calf, you know what that means? There was a calf whose, the only reason it was there was to be eaten. I'm not trying to be funny or anything. Like, we live in a time where we, like, humanize animals quite a bit. But back then, you know what animals were? They were for burden and for food. And this fatted calf, you know what that fatted calf's existence was? All, the only reason it was alive was so that someday it'd be a great steak. Yep. And that, that father says, hey, bring that fatted calf. You say, what is a great picture? That son hadn't eaten right in years. You know what happens when you come to the father's house? He goes, hey, let's... Let's give you some milk with the word, and then let's give you some bread, and let's give you some meat. Amen. And you start going, man, that's good. Man, a year ago, I didn't know about it. I wasn't so sure about this. And the more I come and I, stay, I keep eating that food, the more I go, yeah, I need that. Man, I like that. I need Lord, the new man inside of me, Christ in me, the hope of glory, is thriving off of this. I need this. I wasn't fulfilled. I was malnourished. I was dying of lack of nutrition emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Guys, I'm telling you right now, we live in an age of information, and you can literally scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll, and there's no fulfillment because there's always something else that you may not know. But man, when you get in Christ, and you get with his people, and you get the word of God in your life does it not change you does it not fulfill you does it not meet a need that you didn't sometimes realize that you had coming home I wish this wasn't the case but you know what? it's a reality coming home doesn't make everyone happy can I point out in verse verse 26 the older brother he starts asking about what's going on and some of you know the story real well the servant tells him what's going on and in verse 28 the older brother's angry and he wouldn't go in. And, and what happens here is the father comes out, as I told you earlier, and he starts reasoning with the older brother. And you can make the argument the older brother's a picture of a self-righteous individual that's harboring bitterness towards the joy that someone that's getting right with God has. You can make that argument. Can I, can I just make one more? Do you know who is never going to be happy about you coming home? Your enemy, the devil. He is never, listen, there's going to be opposition and resistance and how come? And you know what that brother did? He literally became the devil in the story. He became the accuser of the brethren. You know what the title, one of the titles of the devil is? He's the accuser. He's the district attorney. And listen, if you're saved, you know what's going to happen one day? You're going to stand there in front of the Lord and the devil's going to go, yeah, but he did this and he did this and he did this and he did this. And on August 7th, he said this and he looked at that and he went there and he wanted that and you said no and he still went after it and God the Father's going to say, mm-hmm, yep, 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 yep. Okay, Jesus, your turn. Yeah, so all that's true, but look at my hands. I paid the debt. And that record is clear. I am so thankful when the accuser of the brethren stands up. I've got a good older brother in Jesus Christ. And he stands up and says, hey, Father, all that he's saying is true. But what I'm saying is more true. It is under the blood. (laughs) 
I am so thankful for that. But can I just say this? You coming home and walking with the Father again, someone's not going to like it. You have to be okay with that. You have to be okay knowing that the only one that matters is the Father. You know what he says? Come home. You know what he says every Sunday? Come home. And he says every Wednesday night, come home. There's some people in here that I've, I've watched them go. And boy, it breaks your heart. You know what's a real blessing? Every once in a while, some of them come back. Man, I am so thankful for a place that I can come back to. When I look over my life, I, I would not be where I am without God's people and without this house. I wouldn't be where I am without home. I don't mean to single people out, but man. Johnny, before church, he said, I love you, Pastor. I love you too, bro. He'll tell you it's not my story to tell. He was out there. I'm glad you're back. We got some people in Bible school right now. You know where they were? They were in the far country. Man, I'm so glad they came back. Can I say this? If you're breathing, you can come home. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's a longing and a yearning for home, a home you've never known. And he'll accept you. He'll take you with all your sin. He'll take that burden of sin. He'll place it on his back and he'll say, hey, let me give you my joy and my peace. If you're a child of God, you know what it's like to be out in the wilderness, dry, hungry, thirsty, rejected, scorned. And you come back to the Father's house and you expect condemnation. And you don't get that. You say, well, the preacher, the, the preaching convicts. Yeah, but I'm talking about the father saying, hey, 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 I know what happened. You came home. Let's move on. I'm thankful for a father like that. I'm thankful we can come home. I'm thankful that this place can be our home. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed.